you have forgotten something. Just a minute. We're picking up an emergency signal now. hospital ships, but it doesn't seem possible that anyone could have survived that kind of... Shut it off. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. out there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices and we are here today to talk about the season finale of season one of babylon 5 which is chrysalis we are a group of newbies and those who have watched the show all the way through the first segment we're going to have is going to be with the newbies and we're going to talk about chrysalis and what has happened before chrysalis but nothing after chrysalis whereas in afterwards the ones who have watched the show throughout all five seasons we will talk about spoilers once we get the newbies off of the show we're going to hear from a few less people tonight because of the holiday season we've got a few folks away but kevin and i will be recording a beyond the rim segment with mike and blake later on so when you hear the introductions and don't hear Mike and Blake, but then all of a sudden Mike and Blake show up at the end, that's why. So I'm Scott, and with me as always is... Kevin. Emily. Jesse. Andrew. Nicole. And John. And before we dive into Chrysalis, let's take a moment to read another one of our reviews that came over on Apple Podcasts. We got this one from A. Murray. Gray 17 Podcast has me hooked. I watched B5 when it first aired and all the excitement after watching of trying to figure out what was important and how it all fit together. All we had then was the Lurker's Guide. The mix of new viewers and veteran B5 watchers is great. I'm re-watching the series with my husband, who is a newbie. It's great to revisit this series from start to finish with someone or someones who hasn't experienced it before. Great work. Expect it will only get better as things heat up on the show. Thanks, A. Murray. And if you can, please, please, please leave a comment or review on your podcast app of choice. If you're watching on YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and hit that like button and the notify button so you can be made aware when our new shows drop. And if you can, the best thing to get the show out there to more people is to use Apple's review process. So if you are listening on Apple or even if you're not listening on Apple, if you can go over to Apple and give us a review, we would really, really appreciate it. Along with that, we also have our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash gray17podcast. If you're willing to 
do a little bit more and help the show grow. We have several tiers over there, including those that allow all of them allow you access to our Discord as well as to our behind the scenes note. And if you can go all the way, we do have our producers who are supporting our show at the highest level. And you can see the list of producers down in the show notes below. Let's go ahead and dive into Chrysalis. And Andrew, I believe you have a plot synopsis for us this week. Indeed, I do. Season one finale of Chris of Babylon 5 Chrysalis. Jakar's and Londo's feud comes to a head as they argue over who owns Quadrant 30 Quadrant 37. It is occupied by the Narn, but Londo believes it is Centauri territory. Londo enlists Mr. Morden for help in claiming it. Meanwhile, Garibaldi learns that the president's life may be in danger after losing one of his informants, and Delenn prepares for some sort of transformation and wants to reveal to Sinclair the truth about what happened during those 24 hours he doesn't remember from Battle of the Line. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, we started doing that, by the way, because we had somebody on our Facebook ask us because they're listening to us and not actually watching the show uh, for those synopsises. So thanks to our Facebook folks for giving that feedback. And if you want to join us on our social medias, you can go to either Twitter, Gray 17 Podcast, Instagram, Gray 17 Podcast, or Facebook uh, groups slash Gray 17 Podcast. So we have folks giving feedback and having conversations on all three of those. So you should check them out. Let's go ahead and do our first impressions from our newbies. And we'll go to Emily first. First impressions on Chrysalis. There was a lot going on in this episode. And it, the one thing that stuck out to me was Delin promised something to Kosh, which seemed like a really odd pairing. And Kosh seems to know something about... Oh. Delin's future, maybe? I'm not sure. Um, but I was really interested by that little bit in there amongst everything else that was going on. Cool. Jesse, first impressions. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> this whole episode was like so, so much. There was so much going on. There was like 17 plots. I um don't feel like we got any of them answered here. So um classic uh season finale it was exciting and fun and um i finally for the first time probably all season have about 17 questions um so i enjoyed it i'm really super excited i almost started watching uh season two um but i'm gonna wait until after today to do that oh boy no don't do it yet i know do it yet i know points of departure will come soon enough I wanted to. Uh, let's go over to Nicole next. First impressions. So it this was a huge episode. There was a lot of what the fuck in my written down and audibly said. Um, I thought it was kind of dark and kind of bleak and just really kind of negative. Um, and it was kind of sad, to be honest, I thought. I mean, it was exciting and there was a lot of good stuff and it was real juicy. But it left a lot of unanswered questions and it really just had like a, a dark tone to it, I thought. Um, it kind of made me really feel a little sad. Like I I just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but I feel like it was like informative, but also it like left you with questions, you know, like some stuff was kind of covered and then some was like, wait, what the hell? What? What's going on? So uh, overall, I'm going to say it was really good. It was really jam packed but it was really confusing. I have a lot of questions and I thought it was just a little bleak and dark. Well, as Sinclair says, nothing is the same anymore. And that's what made me sad at the end. I was like, oh God, that just got me that line. John, first impressions. Yeah, I'll just, I'll start by echoing Nicole's uh, sentiment. I, I wrote that in one of my notes at the end that um, 
for a, a season finale, it was very bleak and, you know, it was a lot of doom and gloom and, you know, a lot of shit happening. Um, I will say, uh, glad to see Lando back after an absence. Uh, love me some Lando. Um, and this episode didn't disappoint in terms of hilarious lines and great acting. Um, obviously some of his, I guess I shouldn't say some of his choices, but his choice, um, you know, I, I wrote down, you know, when you do a deal with the devil, what do you expect is going to happen? So it was a little knot from a boy, Lando in that respect. Um, good episode overall. Um, interesting to have so many cliffhangers, um, you know, something that, uh, I think we've talked about very briefly in the beginning. I think Scott, you've hit on a couple of times, but, you know, I think watching this in 2022, I think we take for granted the serialized nature of the show. And that, that wasn't really not only not the case, but frowned upon a lot in television, um, because it was thought, you know, you wouldn't be able to get viewers or keep viewers or bring new people in because they'd be lost, et cetera. And so not only has this show obviously been so serialized, but to have a finale with so many cliffhangers, it basically says, you know, there's no resolution here. You've got to come back for season two because so much stuff is hanging in the balance. I thought it was an interesting choice and something, you know, we could talk about um, later. Um, again, overall, great. Uh, um, packed a lot in a short amount of time. You know, usually with finales, sometimes they nowadays as well can be like supersized episodes because there's so much left to get in. And I, I, found myself uh, checking the time, how much time was left when we got down to like 15 minutes, 10 minutes of the episode. I thought, man, there's a lot going on here. Um, but uh, overall, I liked it. I'll save some of my more in-depth thoughts for when we, we talk about the different plot lines. But um, what a way to, to end the first season. Definitely has me waiting until we can finish recording this so I can watch the first season or the first episode of season two so I know what the hell's going on. But We'll probably get into more of this meta conversation as we get deeper into season two. But to your point, John, what I will say is when JMS came to the table on this to WB and to PTN and said, I've got a five-year story I want to tell, the studio was not sure it was going to work for many reasons. One, PTN was a syndicated network, so they knew depending on where you were in the country you or in the world, you may catch the episodes out of order. You may not be able to catch all the episodes because they may be and they were preempted by NBA games and local football games and whatever. So they were very hesitant about letting JMS be completely serialized. And I think as you'll see moving into season two, he starts to get a lot less studio notes and he's able to do more episode or go from episodic to serial. So I think you're going to see that that's going to change quite a bit in season two. Uh, I won't say exactly where, cause that would be almost a spoiler in itself. But as we get deeper into season two, you will start feeling this would be more of a what we're used to in terms of serialized television. We'll put it that way. Let's go to Andrew for his first impressions. Yeah. So holy shit, this is exactly what I wanted Babylon 5 to be. Uh, just all these intricate plot lines kind of all weaving in and out of each other. Uh, I uh, I thought the same thing as John with the whole uh, Londo going to uh, Mr. Morden for help. It was kind of like a deal with the devil sort of situation uh and now with leaving this episode i have more questions than ever about who this guy is uh and yeah uh delenn uh, i really thought we were going to find out what was going to happen with uh, uh with sinclair during the battle of the line but still never did so yeah, i just had that to the questions <laughs> kevin what are your first impressions on chrysalis you know this this is your you know fairly standard uh you know 90s season cliffhanger um but 
John, you're and Scott, you're totally right. You know, the, the serialized television was definitely not a thing, but the cliffhanger over the summer was, although I don't think B5 took its hiatus over the summer. But so this is, you know, a fairly pivotal episode. There was a lot of questions that came out of it. Um, it's it's definitely a good episode. Um, it uh, is very jam-packed start to finish. It, it doesn't really stop until the very end. I'll, I'll save the rest of that for, for Beyond the Rim and to... Mm-hmm. uh go a little go a little deeper when we get into that but yeah it's it's definitely a good episode for sure we may go just a little deeper into this episode beyond the rim i'm gonna guess it's probably gonna be another half an hour beyond the rim a couple things to that kevin so you mentioned uh over the summer yeah the, the airing of shows back then was a little different so the season finale for season one was actually in august now actually if you watch this in the uk and i know we have a lot of uk listeners and watchers you actually didn't get chrysalis until the start of season two because in the uk august is kind of a dead time so what they did was they ended on the uh, penultimate episode which i think was eyes back in the original airing and then you didn't get chrysalis until october and it was actually dubbed as the first episode of season two so if you lived outside the united states this wasn't a cliffhanger. This was episode one of season two. So it's, it's everyone sees this a little bit differently depending on where you're at. For me, I don't have many first impressions. You guys hit on most of them. I will say just meta wise, it's interesting to watch this episode as we're going through because there's so much CGI in this episode. I think the station hasn't looked better in some of these close-up shots. They actually recorded this episode 12th in order production wise. So this was recorded almost halfway through the season. And then they always knew it was going to be the final episode, but they had to wait so much for production time to happen that they recorded this a lot before. So I say that because it's really interesting how JMS can juggle all of these different plot lines that kind of coalesce here with chrysalis and will continue to coalesce as we go farther because he had to write this script only 12 episodes in because of all the uh the planning plan cgi and everything else so i think it makes this episode a little stronger in the back and just knowing how he had to back his way into it so let's go ahead and start talking about the episode proper john go ahead well i really just wanted to follow up with your point there you know i i think we've seen it through the first season kind of the um Oh, I don't know a good word to, to describe, but you can tell that there's a disjointed feel to it. Um, you know, so, cause I, one of the notes I wrote, and maybe think about it when you said, you know, this was in 12, you know, Sinclair's lady, which by the way, shout out Sinclair for maybe the worst fucking proposal I think I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. So you want to, and he's like, yeah. And he's like, all right. And then he immediately turns away from her. Doesn't kiss her. Doesn't erase her. He's like, uh, you want some coffee? Like, I mean, just <laughs> the worst <laughs> think I've ever seen. But so seeing her again pop back up made me think, since you're talking about when they were written or when they were produced versus when they were put in there, you know, she's been gone for a long stretch in the, the way we viewed it. And so I wonder, you know, when they were shooting it or, or how close, you know, those type of things kind of stand out more when, when you're not, you know, going in order. Overall, the, the Sinclair part, I will say, I have my beef with him, but his conversation with Jakar and his his diplomacy is yet again very spot on, and um, you can see in certain instances like this, you can see why he is in charge, like why he became a leader of of people um, because of his instincts and how he uses them. Now, as we've joked many times, sometimes that leads him to just run headfirst into danger, as if he is on a suicide mission. But more often than not, it tends to um, work itself out. And his conversation with Jakar and you know my 
my wonder of what would have happened had, um, you know, seemingly the, the new big bad guys not come and wiped out all the Narns, you know, how that conflict potentially could have been avoided just with one conversation with Jakar in a robe with, I got to give a shout out to Jakar. <clears throat> I know Mike's not here at the moment, but my man is out here putting up numbers on the ship. Okay. Just slamming space ass incredibly at an incredibly high rate. Three ladies walking out. I, you listen, I love Londo, but you know, at this moment between the two of you, you are a notch below, sir. I need to see something out of you because Jakar just, you know, he just put it up. So <laughs> I'll take a break from that at the moment, but I thought that was incredible. So a couple questions. First off, does Natoth just listen or does she watch as well? Cause there was just the curtain between the two rooms. So she definitely heard what was going on. And yeah, maybe Natoff's just kind of a kinky individual. But also, I will stand much as I stood with the Londo having his eyes open when he kissed Adira. I think that's one of the best uh, marriage proposals I've ever seen on TV because they're always so cliche. Get down on one knee, open up the box, show the ring. These are two living, breathing individuals who have been through a lot over the past 12 to 15 years, as Sinclair says. And he's just like, look, we've been doing this a long ass time want to move on and yeah cool and you could tell that he was you know playing the part you know as a nervous guy and as a nervous guy i can appreciate that i mean he just you know he turns around after she says yes because he's like oh my god what just happened kind of a i thing. didn't plan any farther ahead what's going on it was cool i i i agree scott i i, I liked it quite a bit is that very real <laughs> that explain the awkward kiss <laughs> another note i wrote uh listen sci-fi not known for their love scenes and 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 uh you know being i don't know anything good and this was no exception that embrace if you want to call it that kiss very awkward very uncomfortable well again it's got the best line ever though you want some coffee no <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they've been together for 15 years and this is how he's asking her um no sir but it's off and on though we we, we heard like they yeah like they like gravitational bodies that come together and then separate again and come together and separate again for some reason they've been able to stick for almost a year because we know this is new year's eve and new year's day so it's been almost a year this time that they've been able to keep a relationship going so I'm gonna i, need I you thought it was romantic to write wow. me out a list of pros and cons because of 15 years there's got to be a lot of cons i need to review what has gone wrong over the last 15 years well he was abducted by minbari and lost 24 hours of his existence that's one well con. that's monday <laughs> <laughs> that's monday <laughs> Okay. You say, do you want to get married? Do you, I mean, you can't just say anything. I, I to be honest, I thought it'd been funnier if she would have pretended like she didn't know what he was talking about, just to get at him. No. Goes, like what? Have dinner? Have coffee? What are you talking about? Make him spell it out. As Emily said to me when I was in high school, I'm a socially inept individual myself, and so I get the whole mapping on your head, not knowing what to say, and then losing your train of thought, and just like screw it. I am here. That was not me. There. That was a substitute teacher in anthropology. We hey, just look. didn't disagree. She usually says she has a bad memory, but she remembers that one. <laughs> Listen, not for nothing. Oddly enough, yes, of the things I remember, that I can remember. Don't ask why. Several of you on this show are engaged, or married, I mean. Uh, I pray and hope that your individual engagements or uh, proposals did not go down like this. And Scott, I'm concerned for Amber now. <laughs> for many reasons. This was a step above asking why you're on the crapper. 
Hey, I'm sure that's happened before. I'm thinking Elvis may have done that. But um, I, will I just say harassed. Go ahead. Sorry. Jeff. Go ahead. I just harassed my husband until he asked me to marry him because I he was tired of me ruining vacations and holidays when I would find out we weren't getting engaged. I would absolutely throw a fucking fit. She's a catch, ladies and gentlemen. Just I am a catch. Five years of marriage, 10 years of relationship. We're doing something okay. Yeah, he listens to you. <laughs> Repeat after me. I am the problem. <laughs> John, as I, uh, as Kevin was alluding to with the nervousness, with my engagement, uh, my wedding ring almost wound up in the Rock River. So, and there's a story behind that. So I would say <laughs> it was an interesting experience. I did not feel very well the next day, and I'm quite sure it was all nerves. I kept it together that day. And the next day I felt like garbage and we were at a resort. So <laughs> she felt it, like garbage too, for other reasons. It, it could have gone better, but we are still married all these years later. So what's See, the worst really... she can do is say, no, like, listen, I am a freaking catch. If you don't want to marry me, somebody else will. <laughs> exactly. Jesse, I tell myself that same thing. I'm a catch as I'm 38 and single again. Hey. You know what? I didn't get married until 36. John, you're you're going to be okay, I promise. That's less than 38. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how that helps, but good job. <laughs> no, I, the, the point is, <laughs> I was older too. It, you will find somebody that will deal with you on a lifetime basis. Maybe. <laughs> okay, aside from bashing on Sinclair, anyone else have anything for this episode? Nothing really happened in this episode, so we may be done. I don't know. <laughs> I have all the stuff. I have yeah. a lot of questions. Yeah, so I'm you not too. sure if I should save them for the question portion. Yeah. If we just start laying out all our questions because there's a lot. I think we can do a little bit of both. I think uh, as long as Kevin's doing his little note taking, we can throw questions out when you want to. And because some of them we can just some of I think some of them we can truly discuss without having to go beyond the rim and some we won't have to or some we will have to. My biggest question is, was the vice president in on this assassination? Mm -hmm. Because there was someone on B5 security who knew what the hell was going on because he shot Garibaldi to keep him out of the way. Did you all recognize him, by the way? He was really familiar. Why do I know him? Because he's been planted in about four episodes the entire <laughs> season. He's the guy. Background security? Yes. He's the guy who let Bester on in Mind War. He's the guy who did the investigation into the guy and said, there's nothing wrong with his bank account. And then Garibaldi's like, well, there's 15,000 credits that just popped up. That's not wrong. This guy is absolutely been... a plant. Yeah. You go this is what I love about Babylon 5. When you go back and watch season one again, you're going to be like, that guy. Oh, every time he's on TV, every time he's on an episode, something weird happens. Ooh. Yeah, so I don't know, but I think the vice president was in on this. That will have to wait for Beyond the Rim. I like JFK. Speaking of JFK, Andrew, another little point meta-wise, when they did the Clark swearing in, JMS said when they did that filming, they tried to be as close as humanly possible to the uh, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson swearing in after JFK was shot to a point where actually off camera, they had a picture of LBJ getting sworn in and they tried to make all of the cast mirror that picture. Uh, just because they wanted to get, especially for people in the 90s who that was somewhat still fresh to, 
they wanted to make that visceral memory of this is what happened after JFK. So they they made it look like it was on a, a plane, even though it's you know Earth Force Two, and they had the same structure of everyone si- uh, sitting around the room or standing around the room. They did that on purpose. Who was that lady that Sinclair was trying to warn and she was blowing him off like, you're just on B5, you guys don't know shit, we're the best. I believe that was another senator, much like Hidoshi. Okay. Yeah, she was wrong, obviously, but I kind of hope that bites her in the ass. Yeah, um, thanks for stepping all over my JFK call out, Scott. But uh, <laughs> Sorry, it was actually Andrew who did it, not me. No, it's fine. I, I obviously definitely noticed that. If you are a history fan of any kind, you immediately recognize that image and knew exactly what it was, even if I remember from the episode, the pink outfit that it looked like the former first lady that was standing next to him was wearing. But um, to Emily's point, too, I also wrote that down. It definitely seems like the vice president is in on it. Um, not only do we actually get to see him and, and, you know, the president's assassinated, he speaks and he definitely talks and puts forth, um, earth forces, little, you know, human earth first agenda will be the priority and how he coaches it in like, Oh, you know, we're in this troubling time. We need to look inward and help ourselves and, you know, heal and blah, blah, blah. So I 100% think he is in on it. I definitely think he's, uh, shady (laughs) Nicole. There you go. Um, uh, but I gotta say though, these earth force guys, these spies, man, they are, how bad at their job are they, that they, that they're actually able to get through this. Now don't get me wrong. I understand it's a television show. So if, if they were really good at their job, we would never know. And it'd be quite boring, but who doesn't double tap when you're, when you're killing somebody who leaves the witness still alive, you hit Garibaldi in the back, just, just boom, one right to the dome. It, you know what I mean? You, you're, you're good to go. Uh, instead, this guy just leaves him and then just lurks around <laughs> while Garibaldi's having surgery and while he's in the med bay. And then when the guy goes, hey, uh, his PPG is cold. And he's like, and? I mean, could you not give yourself away any more than that? Like, can you be a better spy, man? Can you be a better spy? I, I mean, that 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 part kind of I was like, man, kind of sticks out. I will say to that with the PPG being cold, I don't think that gives him away. I think that is more of uh, as a cop who had just had your boss killed or potentially killed shot. um, He took out those guys and usually you'd be bringing the justice, but they got quote unquote street justice. So I think I read that more as of anyone who is a little bit less than ethical on the force after your sergeant or commander or whatever gets uh, shot on the line they will say, you know, it was self-defense. We just, we wanted to end these guys. So I don't, I don't see it as a spy thing. Now the other stuff, yeah, I get you, but I, I, that one I say that could be played off as just a normal reaction to your boss getting shot at. Yeah. The other thing I'll add is that there were people directly in front of Garibaldi in that. So him shooting center mass is not only how they're trained, but would be the smart move in that, in that situation. Hold on, hold on. I want to, I want two things about that. So Scott, to your point, I don't necessarily disagree. It's an interesting thing about it, but what you're, you're saying is instead of it being like, Oh, maybe he's a spy. It's, Oh, maybe he's just a murderous cop, so we're going to let that go. Because... Well, no, no, I'm saying the guy, the uh, the other two deputies or whatever you want to call them who were on the scene questioning the cold PBG, I don't think they're going to immediately say, oh, this guy's a conspirator. They're going to think, okay, these guys blew these guys away because they took out Garibaldi, and he doesn't want to have to worry about the ju- judicial system. That's what I mean. No, I got gotcha, you, but I might have questions if I was one of those other so, Kevin, to your point, what you're saying is the reason he shot him in the back is to make it look like the other guys got Garibaldi to hit him center mass or just clarify what you're trying to say. No, my- no. All right. So 
there are there are people on the other side of Sinclair from where the shooter is. So he shot him in the back center mass so that he doesn't risk hitting the guys who he was obviously in a conspiracy with. You mean Garibaldi, right? You said Sinclair. I'm just, sorry. Okay. I just want to make sure we're talking about the same person. What I meant yes. is... Yes. You shoot him in the back, he goes down. Then you walk over him, just plug one in his head, and you just keep okay. it. Okay, and that makes that makes sense to me for sure. But okay, it's like- Nicole. So I actually was kind of wanting to talk about what John just brought up. Um, the things that kind of stood out to me with this whole like plot. Um, my thought process was they were talking about how when Garibaldi found like the guns. And he said there was no like serial number on it or whatever. And that's what special agents get. I wondered if that Devereaux and his gang were special agents through like Home Guard or through like Earth Force. And it's maybe they were working with the shady ass security guy. Shady count was up on that one, by the way. I knew it from the beginning. I, I was trying to figure out if they were working together and maybe those guys were special agents through like the government. And then it makes sense that the vice president was in on the hit because those guys were on B5, like, you know, moving all the cargo. And then, you know, like if they were special agents, they basically were corrupt special agents. So and then at the end, when he took all those guys out, I was just curious, like, all right, did he actually take them out? Or I was waiting for them to reach down and be like, oh, the PPG is cold. And then the guy to be like, gotcha, bitch, I'm alive. And like kill the security guards, you know, that's kind of what I was expecting. So if he was working with them and those guys were special agents and he killed them, so technically he kind of like fucked himself, but then also maybe they weren't, maybe they were just shady and he's the actual double agent. I see you guys smiling because you know what's going on and you see my brain thinking. I'm so. just watching the hamster spin on the wheel. <laughs> Yeah, so there was a lot there was a lot of theories I had in my mind, but I 100% think the vice president was in on it. But all I know is that somebody is shady. I want to know who was behind this. I just love all of you folks throughout the process who always thought that Santiago was the quote unquote shady one. Now the dude dead. So how shady is he? No, I just wasn't convinced he existed because right. we only <laughs> saw him. So we I was very like a puppet somewhere and they just kept him off camera and everything was all the strings were being pulled like, you know, off on the side. And he was just wherever. You, you, we, we were talking about how we've never seen the president and the vice president. Now you saw them both because you did see Santiago for a brief yeah. second, too. Poor that, blow up. that brief picture, that was him. That was Santiago. I'm assuming. I mean, they the didn't have a tag on Sonny, it. Yeah, the white guy named Santiago. Hey, it's a melting pot. What do you want? Kevin, what do you got? It, it's time for Kevin's random thought hour. So, uh, Well, we just had Nicole's random thoughts, so go <laughs> for it. You're welcome. So um, there's there's one scene where uh, Londo's in, in the garden with Morton, and the the shot of the horizon is so bad, it looks like a, you know, Star Trek, the original series episode. Um the other thing I want to mention was I thought the the saddest thing in the episode is that, you know, the, those guys are in the in the casino bar. They're playing cards. They all have full tall beers and Gary Baldy picks that moment to pull them out. I thought that was by far the saddest part of this episode. <laughs> I, d- yeah. I don't know how to follow that up, except for I will say. You mentioned that 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 um that uh, that scene with the uh, the hedgerow or the maze or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. 
I wasn't going to bring this up, but since you brought it up, our UK watchers didn't get that same scene. Actually, no, I'm sorry. It was the, I think the UK folks did get it. The Americans didn't. Because for some reason, one way or the other, the episode when it first aired did not include that piece of CGI. So actually, Londo's walking through a very smaller hedge maze, and he's walking towards an exit sign on the set. <laughs> so that scene was even worse when they didn't put the CGI in. The last in thing I wanted to mention was, you know, Garibaldi finds out that the president's in peril, and he's like, hey, uh, meet me in here in 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Right? What, what, are you, what are you doing for the, the next, like, 18? Come on. Let's go. I know, Dude's got to walk. It's a five-mile station. I know oh. it's a big station, but seriously, like, I, I, think, it, the reactor, I think it's though. time to, you know, hustle a little. John, what do you got? Well, I mean, to Kevin's last point, I mean, we can go into a whole diatribe, which I'm happy to have about, uh, is Garibaldi good at his job? Is Garibaldi <laughs> But I'll skip that. But I will say on the Londo thing, um, first of all, big ups to one of my favorite jokes, the cat joke with yes. Viet. Okay. <laughs> I'm slowly eating by cats. It's funny. So it still it still made sense. But, you know, I don't know if, you know, to Emily's point, we started getting questions where I kind of have like a statement, but it also has a question to it, which is so Morton and his allies. Right. So, you know, wonder this the first time he showed up and wonder it even more now, like who is it, who are these guys allies? And when Delenn went to Kosh again, shady, both of them shady. I wondered, are the Vorlons, these new people, are these the, the allies? Because we've never seen the Vorlons before. Now, apparently Delenn has. Um, I don't know if, if these new see-through, slightly black, whatever's, I mean, are they the Vorlons? Because, you know, part of me thinks, so Jakar, so when they were talking about who could have done this, and one little trope, and one little thing you always pay attention to is like, a lot of times somebody will say something to throw you, you the audience, off. So they're like, oh, the humans couldn't have done it. The Vorlons don't care. And it's like, ah, do they not care? I don't know, because we've seen some supposedly shady shit from Kosh, and by extension, the Vorlons. And it makes me wonder if they are the people we just saw. If Because they have to be some crazy strong uh, something, right? I mean, when Natas says basically like, you know, a, a hand, a celestial hand almost, you know, a, a hand from God, just eliminate 10,000 people and ships and heavy uh, cruisers or destroyers, whatever she said. I mean, you're talking about a lot, a huge force just to be wiped off the map like that. Um, thus far, we've only seen the Vorlons seemingly be the type of civilization or race, species, whatever you want to call them, that seems even capable of coming close to something like that. So, and again, you know, Kosh at, at the end interjects himself with Sinclair, you know, basically like, hey, you, you missed your shot, homie, just so he could see the cocoon which was a great movie by the way i thoroughly enjoyed it even as a kid watching the old people you know i'm talking about cocoon um i uh, enjoy both of them cocoon and cocoon 2 cocoon is obviously a better movie cocoon cocoon 2 is more funny and it's fun i guess i also thoroughly expected the very last shot to be her opening her eyes i was very disappointed when it was (laughs) yes i was giving you a wink those are all very good questions john nicole you're next um one thing i just wanted to kind of point out uh, that John and was just kind of talking about was um uh, that it possibly was the Vorlon, the creepy spider murder ships that killed all the Narn were the same ships that killed the people who stole the thing from London. Was it the eye? I can't remember what it was. So same creepy spider murder ship. And I thought that Kosh was involved in that. And maybe the Vorlons were involved in that. I thought he, you know, uh, Koshed them essentially. I like that you're calling them the creepy spider murder ships, and I think we're going to stick with that, whatever they are. I I enjoy the creepy spider murder ships. 
I wrote that and I highlighted it in my notes. <laughs> Andrew, what do you got? Yeah, so uh, first of all, I hadn't even made the connection that uh, those like shadow. I, I, I in my notes, I just called them shadow people. Uh, I hadn't even made the connection that uh, like the possibility that those could be the Vorlons, like their true form. Uh, but I did think it was really interesting to see a kind of a different side of Londo where like, yes, he hates the Narn, but then when he finds out that Mr. Morden basically just annihilated that entire outpost, he uh, kind of regretted getting his help because, like, because that uh, clearly that wasn't at all what he wanted, uh, because part of their agreement was Mr. Morden said, like, all I ask in return is that, uh, whenever we need help, we want you to help us out. So now, now that we clearly see that Londo didn't like how he handled things, uh, uh, makes me wonder if uh, if he's going to end up returning that favor whenever that time comes. Good question, John. Yeah, I mean, I got to follow it up. Those are good points. I mean, this, you know, Londo is my man. So, um, like I mentioned earlier, a little disappointed to see him be. I guess naive is probably the best word. Again, if you you make a deal with the devil, what do you expect to happen? One. You know, to his point, he's like, well, what do you think we're going to do? And it was funny when he was like, oh, I thought maybe you'd do this. And I was like, really? Some random, creepy, shady-ass guy who comes in and grants unlimited wishes with the power of everything. You think he's going to be like, yeah, we'll just protect your ships. Like, little naive for that. But to Andrew's point about his um, remorse, I stand behind Same thing with Andrew. 100%. Um, they will collect on that godfather promise about, you know, one day, you know, you will, will return the favor. And I think he'll say no. And I think it'll be obviously because of, of that, that, that thought that, you know, that's not what I wanted. I didn't want to kill people. Um, I think uh, eventually, you know, him and Jakar are, are frenemies now. And I think that'll get even closer. And the time will come when he'll have to make a choice. This is a prediction. I know I'm skipping ahead, but it just, it, you get the feeling that he'll, he'll make the right choice. One of the reasons I like Londo so much, or at least I guess I'm pitching my wagon and hoping this is the case that when the time comes, he'll make the right choice and he'll stand with what will be his friend Jakar and possibly the Narn, probably at personal expense. I mean, I, I don't think that the way JMS writes and it's more grounded that all of a sudden the Narn and, and Centauri are going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. I don't think it'll be that, but I think potentially at least Lando can do whatever he can to, to help his, his friend out in the time. So um, again, at least that's what I'm hoping the case because <laughs> I can't love Londo and have him making boneheaded decisions like this. It's going to be a long four years for you. Yeah. I'm just gonna, it's going to be a long four years for you. <laughs> and you can read it as you will. Nicole. Also to kind of go along with what John was saying about Londo's character, about having remorse with the Narns. He also was really upset when he found out about Garibaldi and asked Ivanova if he can stand with her and, and wait. Um, and he even said he's annoying, but I would miss him if he doesn't come back so i think londo does have a conscience and a good heart even if he hates the narns and i i do maybe kind of agree with what john was saying that like i think in the long run when push comes to shove he's gonna stand his ground whether or not he you know um survives that i don't know but i think he's gonna take the right path um considering he was remorseful and he really cared about and was worried about garibaldi i really honestly like garibaldi and londo's friendship is one of my favorite aspects of this whole season so far i really like just love that friendship so i think that um you know uh i think that uh john is right on the money where i think londo's gonna follow the right path jesse you're up i think shit's about to hit the fucking fan with that because it's going to come out or maybe they're going to blackmail him. I don't know how it's going to look, but um, they're, you know, he just, what he just did killed 10,000 Narns. 
there's no way that isn't coming out. Um, and I think that the only way that it doesn't come out is some other shady shit. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Andrew. Yeah, I just wanted to circle back and to kind of counter my own point about uh, Londo's future uh, relationship with Mr. Morden, because also part of their agreement was that uh, basically Londo would pin the whole thing on himself. And as a result of that, he's now seen as kind of a war hero. And I don't know if it was just me, but I could also kind of pick up a little bit of uh, where like he was feeling remorseful, but uh, then he was kind of starting to reconsider how he felt. So I, don't know, I just I feel like Londo's character is about to get a lot more complex. John? Yeah, I uh, wish we had seen this episode before we had Claudia Christian on, just so I could applaud her for the ridiculous amount of hotness that she was flashing this episode in that blue dress. Good God. <laughs> uh, the the hate I had for that character is totally dissipated, just from that little bit. <laughs> and, uh, I hope we get much more of that in the following seasons to come, because she was a knockout. Yeah, you when know, Nicole says during the interview that she's got great hair, she was flashing that in this episode. The hair time. was down. Kind and of. curly, which yeah. I yeah. haven't seen. I dig. So I'm going to say this because she put in her own autobiography, so I feel like I'm not being too terrible. But I, I am reading her autobiography now, listening, because I don't read. But um, I don't think yet, but at least by season two, she was having an affair with the uh, uh, director of photography. And she flat out said he made sure that no matter what was happening, she had the best lighting possible and she had the best camera angles possible. And he made sure to make her look good the entire time. And he did an amazing job. Yeah, yeah. he yep. did so, well. He did well. Yep. So I, I think at this point there was like an infatuation, but not an affair. But she flat out says later on the show they were having an affair where they would go to each other's trailers. So and again, this is something she put in her book, so I don't feel bad saying it. But she was very much uh, aware that he was making sure that she got the right lighting and the right angles. Was Nicole. he married? An affair? No, Isn't that just... I, I, I'm sorry. It's it, I say it's an affair Secret. because the people on the show were not aware of it. Oh. However, he was yeah, a secret, up. a secret relationship. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I will say uh, for those who may want to check out her autobiography, uh, it's called Babylon Confidential. It is extremely hard to get through. And so be prepared. Not that, I mean, she's an excellent right storyteller. Reasons. It's, she had a hard life. We'll put it that way. Nicole. Um, first of all, get it, Claudia. Get that mangles. Get that lighting. Go, girl. John. So one of the things that I meant to, I don't know, if ask or point out during the, we were talking about the presidential portion of the storyline. You know, they mentioned he was leaving Mars. So should I take that as the rebellion's been put down? I don't think we heard one way or the other. I think he was doing uh, a tour of the solar system to get people's attention. Even the the reporter said this should be good for voters, but I don't think we heard one way or the other. I just so I thought that because obviously bringing a president into a war zone would seem not that safe. But then also when they assassinated him, I thought, oh, there was an easier way to do that. Just have him be killed right there in the Mars Rebellion. Kill two birds with one stone. You blame it on the rebels. Boom. Bob's your uncle. Poor guy got all the way to the Jupiter before we blowed him up. Emily. Can change the subject a little bit. How does Delyn feel about Sinclair getting married? Because he's kind of already married to her in that ceremony that it seems like he's still not aware of maybe yet since he proposed to Catherine. So anyone else have thoughts on that? At the moment, she's in a cocoon, so I can't ask her. Lots of thoughts, Emily. Lots of thoughts. The, yeah. hear those. 
<laughs> a weird sexual tension in that scene when she was like ostensibly talking about, oh, I need to talk to you, give you some information. It was hot. It was hot. I felt it. You could cut sexual tension with a knife. It was crazy. And then to your point, though, I was like, oh, I wonder if she knows that my man got engaged. And she's like, ha, you fool, you're already married. <laughs> to, the, to the sexual tension part, we obviously are really loving on Claudia Christian, which we absolutely should. But don't put Mira Furlon down. That woman is no. a very, very sexy individual. And her acting ability and being able to be sexy in that outfit and that makeup, she does a good job. Nicole. I was just going to say, uh, one of the things that I wrote down was when Delenn went to see Kosh, first of all, I still think Kosh is shady. She goes to Kosh and she said she has doubts and she must know if it's true and she has to see it with her own eyes. And then he opens up this creepy little thing and all you see is blue light and her eyes light up. And then she said, okay, well, I'll keep my promise um, and remember me how I am because I won't you know, be like this. What the hell is her promise? Like, what does that mean? Like, what is going on there? Like that whole interaction was just so weird. And then when she goes back to her room and she's playing with that crystal Lego set thing. Um, and then, you know, uh, Lanier is trying to talk her out of whatever is going to happen. Um, you know, it, it was just like so bizarre. And then all you see is like Lanier crying and then this crazy crystal thing. And then, you know, Sinclair comes in, oh, it's too late. And then she's in the cocoon. And it's like, what the, what the fuck? That whole like Delenn sequence. I just have so many questions. Like, right, what like, did Kosh show is, her? How was Kosh involved in this? Why would right. he be involved? What this seems like an odd pairing for knowledge. Right. And they're totally different, like alien species. So there's not anything that would connect them like species wise. And it doesn't seem like they have any sort of alliance or beef. So like, what the fuck? Like, I'm assuming they know each other before the creation of Babylon 5. I feel like they had to have known, Mm -hmm. like there's a chance they knew each other before that. Well, and when he's sitting here with this weird ass yeah. look on his face, like, yeah, I know the answer and I can't yep. tell you. <laughs> yep. Oh, I'm well, actually answering in my head right now as you bringing stuff up. I'm like, that's right. That's wrong. That's right. That's wrong. Oh, this happens you. here. This happens in that here. order. In that order. In that order. And no, I'm not. No, I, I was just, that's not in the <laughs> yeah. order. No. I'm going to eat your ice cream. <laughs> Please well, don't. and then, you know, Sinclair sitting at the bar feeling all blue. And then here comes Kosh, do, 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 do. And then you hear the crazy music. And he's like, it has begun. You have forgotten something. Like, what the hell? Where did you come from? What hole did you crawl out of that you just came to Sinclair? And it's like, haha, gotcha, bitch. You're not going to find out now. You know, like, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> right? I will say, I, I, I actually laughed out loud when Kosh just started, like, coming. Like appearing like from around the corner just, it just to me, just looked, yeah it just it just looked so awkward <laughs> and, like, you know so claire's like over there drinking his woes away after finding out the president's been killed and then yeah kosh just comes out like r2d2 like out, out from like around the corner of the door and a couple gosh. things i wonder if you all noticed did you notice what was on top since uh nicole mentioned the the lego set did you notice what was on top of the lego set yeah the triluminary triluminary yeah well, and this didn't is we also see her put it on top yeah she actually yeah. takes it didn't goes, we see her Tink. yeah yep yeah yep. okay so the triluminary is involved whatever that may be also i think this may be the first if not if it's not the first it's definitely only the second time we actually see kosh uh, at a meeting of the other races he was hanging out in the background just chilling so kosh has been hanging out around the station more than usual which is suspicious just just throwing out facts that's all i'm doing John. Yes, I'm glad you brought up the. Uh, the Sorry. Yeah. 
Um, so because it made me think of two things. So the first, obviously, um, I think I mentioned it last episode, maybe, you know, we got the chrysalis, we got the cocoon. I mean, what do we know cocoons are for traditionally, right? Butterflies and you go in one thing, you come out another. So to me, I read that as very clear that Delenn is going through some sort of metamorphosis and a different version of herself, which I thought could be potentially interesting with what we've seen with the, I guess I'll call them the flash forward Sinclair and Delenn now, which was another reason it seems that she wasn't shown. I, I did mention that when I, when she was heard speaking to him off screen, but we didn't see her. I did point out that I think that was significant because she probably, something has to be about her appearance is different. And I think this is what it was. She's, she's changing into something else. And that's when she was asking Kosh and, and telling people about remembering her, I think she's essentially ending this version of her and is, is about to emerge with a new version. And whether that includes all memories, some memories, no memories, I mean, that's the kind of, we'll see what, what comes of that. Um, but to bring it back to the triluminary, the reason I, I mentioned that is because they did make a point of, of her asking, do you recognize this? And Sinclair saying, yes, kind of, it was there. And we only got a little bit. So it makes me wonder, it made, made me wonder whether, and maybe this is the question, they use that on Sinclair. Maybe this is a chrysalis version of Sinclair. Maybe there's another chrysalis version of Sinclair coming. He can't remember something. Can't remember those 24 hours. We saw the triluminary and, and that could explain the, the blackout. I don't know, but I thought it was important that they reference it. Usually you don't <laughs> literally spell out for the viewer. You've seen this before. Remember this, unless it's, unless it's that important. Um, so I skipped ahead a little bit. That was a little bit of a prediction slash. <laughs> well, I, I think we can assume based on what Delenn said that her intent before the end of this episode was to tell Sinclair exactly what had happened. So she was going to work on that. But as Kosh said, you have forgotten something. And by the time he got in the room, too late. So we don't know either. Andrew. Yes, I wanted to add on to uh, Nicole's point about like kind of like that opening with uh, Delenn and Kosh, uh, but like go like a little earlier than that, because uh, the first time we see Delenn, uh, it's Lanier coming back from uh, delivering that message. Uh, we don't know what that message was, but uh, delivering a message to Kosh, and when he comes back, uh, he says uh, all he said was yes. So uh, yeah, that, that was just something else I wanted to bring attention to. To all the points you're making, I'm going to go back to what I think I've said a couple times. The one thing I love about JMS is he doesn't do mystery boxes. So everything you guys have brought up from the start to Andrew's last point, you're going to get answers to. 100%. Everything, you, Every little plot thread he has, he is going to tie up. So hang on. Yeah, I think... So usually when I read that, I think, because I also was like, oh, I wonder what the question was. And then with the metamorphosis thing, I think the question has to do with Sinclair and the prophecy, right? Like, cause so it's, yeah. So will you ensure X or whatever? Will you ensure? Cause we saw the previous episodes when, you know, it was like, Oh, he has to be saved or protected. He's the one he, you know, there's something super important. We've already seen that Mimbari talk about this prophecy. And I thought it was interesting that Lanier was like doubtful a little bit, a little doubting Thomas. Are you sure this is going to work? Are you sure? Um, she was like, yeah, I'm gonna go through it anyways. And again, the same thing, like, remember me. And I think her question to Kosh was something like, uh, you know, although actually, you know what, even literally just thought about this. I wonder if it was, I have, since she said, I have to see, I wonder if Kosh has gone through uh, a chrysalis and she, you know, Emily mentioned, well, maybe she knew him before. So maybe he was something previously and has gone through and she has to see it for her own eyes to know that it's going to work or to know that it will work or have more faith in it, which would be interesting that means she's doubting her own. 
literally I'm just speaking out loud now because I literally just think about this, but I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if that's the question. Like, you know, you gone through it to show me, like prove it. Kevin and I are sitting here just watching y'all like spin yarns of theories and it is just fun to watch. It really is. And to go off what you just said, John, like another totally crazy off the wall theory, because I still think he's shady, but is Kosh protecting Sinclair somehow in the shadows? Maybe that was the agreement that Dylan and him had. Like, you know, like if since Sinclair is so important, important to the Mambari, right? He's some sort of key or some sort of like he's significant to them. Maybe, maybe Kosh isn't shady and all in all, all the crazy shit he's doing, is he protecting Sinclair on behalf of them? Is there some sort of agreement that him and Delen have to keep him safe? And then when she turns into whatever the hell she's going to turn into, she takes over. Like, there's so many things that it could be. And when John was talking, that's like what I was thinking. I was like, well, maybe the question is, is like, did he hold up his end of the bargain and protect Sinclair? or something like that. I'm probably totally wrong because I still think Kosh is shady, but you just never know with this show. Well, Nicole, let's go ahead and answer that for you right now. Wait, no, not going to. You suck. (laughs) Emily. Nicole's point made me think of it, but maybe Kosh has something that can help Sinclair get to the future because we saw the time jump or whatever it was in Babylon Squared where future Sinclair comes back. So does Kosh have some sort of technology or knowledge about whatever Sinclair needs to do in the future to try to come back and change the situation now? Yeah, because the we talked about it, I think Emily, you and I, we're talking about it last episode about the Mimbari seemingly having some sort of um, ability to see in the future or, or you know, th- they can see things. And so perhaps as part of that metamorphosis too, you might lose, again, that's the point about like losing yourself, a different version of yourself. Perhaps you'll forget those things. So you have to tell someone, you know, if you're a time traveler, Hey, don't let me forget this. Or here's a good keyword. You know, maybe it's about cash, you know, keeping up what she'll lose or, you know, with this metamorphosis. Nicole. So I had another thought. It's kind of going back to what we were previously talking about, but still relevant to this. Um, One thing I remembered specifically just now was that at the very end, when Mr. Morton was talking to the creepy shadow puppets or whatever the fuck they were, he said that he suspects nothing. um, And he's clueless, basically. And Lando will do as they wish. And he said specifically, destiny is on their side. I've noticed that throughout this whole episode, that was like a theme because Jakar was like, you know, I'm going to go out and figure it out. And like, you know, he's on this mission to find out what happened to his people. Delenn with the whole like, um, it's destiny, the whole like not wanting to be part of the Great Council and wanting to fulfill this destiny and um, seeing this vision or whatever. And then, you know, I, I feel like destiny, the specific destiny is a theme that's recurring through this whole season. I want to know what the fuck is this destiny, damn it. Yeah. Are they all up against some prophecy and in their own ways they're trying to alter it for a different outcome right and are this creepy spider murder ships like gonna take everybody out like that's the destiny they're fighting like is that who they're fighting in in the like when you know we have that flash forward and future sinclair comes back like was that who they were fighting with the babylon four like the creepy murder spider ships like what is happening here Good questions. Anybody else? Um, yeah. <laughs> how long are you gonna keep this charade going, Scott? How long? <laughs> how long must we take this? <laughs> Based on one episode a week, probably about another two years. I'm starting a riot. 
again, as I just mentioned, JMS doesn't have mystery boxes. The other thing, too, is JMS understands that he has to stay ahead of the audience, and, but also make sure he's not pissing off the audience. So what you're going to find is he will answer questions as you go and then bring up more questions. So a lot of the questions that you guys have right now are without, I can't say exactly when because it'll be a spoiler, but they're going to be answered a lot sooner than you think. And then there's going to be new questions and so forth and so on. So he keeps you going. Remember, as I said, when we started with the gathering, this is literally a novel in five chapters. You just finished chapter one. We're now moving into chapter two. A lot of the plot threads from chapter one will be tied up soon, and then we'll get more plot threads from chapter two and so forth and so on. So I joke it'll be two years. For some stuff, it may be two years. But for most of it, I think you're going to be happy with how JMS strings this out. And we've also alluded to the fact that things speed up a little bit too. Absolutely. I think uh, the, the production crew, JMS, the actors, they have figured themselves out in season one and um, also the special effects have figured themselves out in season one. I think you're going to be very s delighted with how season two turns out. And then it gets even better from there. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah. Hey, I told you all to stick with me for season one. Scouts honor. And, and yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I I'm pro scouts. I am. I told you all to stick with us for season one. And for the most part, it took you a little bit, but I think you're interested for season two. So we've gotten through the hard part. I'll put it that way. Nicole. I do have to say, Scott, um, you are right so far, like with the questions being answered, because I feel like we have had a lot of question answered, questions answered, but I feel like his style is, all right, I'm going to give you these nuggets, but then I'm going to leave you with these other questions. So it's like he gives us what we want, but then he gives us a whole new set of questions that we're asking for. And maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but I actually kind of enjoy watching this from start to finish without spoilers because i'm one of those people like if i'm reading a book i always read ahead and read the end first or like if i watch a show i read up the entire you know like synopses and i always spoil it for myself so for me again maybe i'm a weirdo but i kind of like this you know watching it every week and discussing it and not knowing it kind of keeps it exciting for me a little bit as we go along. So yes, it sucks because I want to know right now exactly everything that's happening. But also I feel like it keeps me more interested to like really focus on the episodes when I watch them because I'm looking for answers because I want to know them. So I think I watch it with a different lens, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, I won't give you too much shit about going beyond the rim because I do think that, yes, I want to know right now and I hate waiting. I'm very impatient, but also for me, just thinking about like, oh my God, what's going to happen? When are we going to find this out? It's kind of exciting. And it keeps the whole series even more interesting to me than I'm already, you know, in, in, invested, I guess. It's almost like that's what JMS intended. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, it's like dangling the carrot. I think the easiest way I can say it is unlike many writers, JMS respects the audience. And I think you're going to see that as you move on. John. Nicole, I also like watching it week to week and getting the, it's just the smugness the first ones have when we're talking and going off tangents <laughs> that they already know what's going on that gets me. Um, but I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, instead of going in on Garibaldi and whether or not he's good at his job, I will say at least the man knows how to put out information before he dies, unlike Petrov, who says him instead of the name. At least he was like, no, 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 hold on. I got to get this info out. It's critically important. Let me say it if it's even my last words. So, <laughs> for at least doing that 
Um, and then I also thought it was funny and interesting that they were celebrating New Year's Eve, Earth New Year's Eve. And then I wondered, is it, I mean, how far away are they in the universe? Like, so back on Earth, because stuff seems to happen concurrently, like, oh, you know, you're watching this news broadcast from Earth right now. Would it be the same day on Earth as it is there? Like, wouldn't wouldn't that be out of sync? This is the stupidest question you have ever asked in your whole well, time. Is a social construct. So <laughs> I have to listen to some. Andrew's right. Andrew's a hundred percent right. What time is a social construct. Time is a social construct. I get that. I get that. However, we have all bought into said construct. And as you can see, they're clearly keeping track of days and celebrating fake time milestones. So my question is, are they linking up? I just was wondering how that works with the planet versus the station. I would, I would assume instead of doing like Epsilon time, cause no one gives a shit about Epsilon time. They're probably on like Greenwich mean time or something. Cause it doesn't really matter. It's again, it's, it's all based on construct. So I would assume Babylon 5 probably follows whatever Earth Dome follows, and they're in Switzerland. So whatever that timeline time zone is, I'm guessing that's where they're at. I, I think I did tell you all this before, though. One thing that you'll and you show they showed it today, or they showed it in the episode, is each season does follow a calendar year. So we're moving into 2259, and the new intro, starting with the next episode, will be it's the year 2259. See, so time does matter, Jesse. Mm. <laughs> There's no fucking way the day is the same on Earth and 800 light years away. It's not fucking possible. Well, but if they have to, if they decide when the lights turn on and off, they can make it a 24-hour day. They can absolutely. They're in a tin can. You so can decide. What? Points don't matter. Well, no, seriously. I mean, the International Space Station technically isn't on a 24-hour day because they're farther away from us. And I'm assuming when we land people on the moon in 2026, 20, I think, they're going to be on lunar time. But really, they're going to be on whatever Houston's time is because that's who they're communicating with. You can arbitrarily pick your day-night cycle. Right. That's why I ask because, oh, I'm Jesse. I don't care about time. <laughs> I, time is made up. It's all made up. It's all just like... I think yes. of it like... You I think can of it like whatever you want. Right. If if you've ever cruised, you have ship time. So when you pass through time zones, you stay on ship time. So if you leave my the port of Miami, you're always going to be on East Coast time, whether you're in Mexico or the Hamas or whatever. I kind of look at it that way. I'm right. not rich enough to go on cruises, Scott. So well, I can find you some cheap cruises because that's what I do. Yeah, same. I bring it up is because it is interesting when you think about the life on the station, right? So if they are in sync with Earth. How would that impact? So let's just say, because I like getting into, okay, let's just say I'm a worker on B5. And I'm a low guy applying my trade. I'm an electrician, okay? And I want to take some R&R and I want to go back home to earth. Is it December 30th or are they on like June 6th? And when do I have to plan my Christmas vacation, Jesse? These are things, see, I know you say <laughs> hour and you don't care but us common folk you know like to be there and, and embrace friends and family during the holidays Cheers. i didn't say that i don't care also this is very much giving me time travel vibes that we've already <laughs> yeah what's wrong with that nothing <laughs> nothing at all where some invisible spiders were talking to some guy and they you're like I'm cool with that, but time they travel looks like they look like those praying mantis guys. The shadows to me look like the praying mantis guy in the basement or where not the basement down below. I love that we were recording for about an hour and you finally got to the people hanging out with Mr. Morden. You guys took some time to get there. I, was I, mentioned, I thought they were volons. I brought it oh, up. You did I mention said, him? Okay. I mentioned him too. Okay. I just wasn't listening. It's fine. Thanks. <laughs> 
And one of the questions I was going to say was like, so is Borden, is he a human? Is he a shapeshifter? Is he, how can we understand these people? You know, what, how is a seemingly regular human able to interact, talk and work with these invisible fuck spiders? That's a very good question. They were invisible to us, not necessarily invisible to him. That's a good point. So now you've got that care where you're like, no, they're invisible to us. (laughs) (laughs) I will say JMS angles, Jonathan, I don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I will say JMS was very, was very proud of that scene because it is only the second time that we had full CGI characters. You know, you could see through them, but that was a hundred percent CGI and that was big for them. Shadows? Whatever's in with Mr. Borden, yes. Were they shadows or were they not shadows? Because it looked like shadows to me. No, they were CGI. they, they trans- were they were translucent. So they were invisible to us. Uh, I think that it's up to the viewer. That's not what translucent means. <laughs> I, I, I think it's up to the viewer at this point. I, I, I'm not going to say more because you will find out, but it's up to the perspective of the viewer at this point if the, you can see them or not. I like Andrew coming in hard with it. That's I not- know. <laughs> I guess they are transparent. I yeah. do... I do know that I want to punch Morton in the face. Yes. You know- he is a wanker. Yeah, uh, Ed Wasser. <laughs> God, he does the best Rod Serling impression ever, and I freaking love it. <clears throat> he is, especially when he's in the hedgerow with Londo. I'm just seeing Rod Serling on Babylon Five, and it's perfect. Seeing what? Oh my God, people! Rod, Rod Serling, the host no of the Twilight Zone. Nope. The host of the Twilight Zone. Yep. Sorry. Okay. If I already didn't have a Twilight Zone podcast that I've been slacking off on, I would say we need to do a Twilight Zone podcast. But you all should listen to my Twilight Zone podcast, which is Zonisodes, by the way. Like you've never seen the opening where he's like, like imagine a world where yes, isn't that also in the 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 floating door? It's only the best TV show ever. That's a atmosphere. Last I checked, it's on Netflix. It's on like Hulu and everything too. Yeah, but no, it is seriously the best TV show ever. Twilight Zone. Okay, so like. Little Kevin, shut up. You have no sad. taste. Go watch Mandalorian again. I don't actually, like no, Mandalorian's good. Go watch Boba Fett again, Kevin. Go watch that. Why? Enjoy. 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 The burst. Angry. <laughs> also, I mean, I would. So I get not liking him, but to be fair, is a man who goes, "Who are you? What do you want?" and then gives you what you want. I kind of wish that dude would come walk into my door tomorrow because I, I got some suggestions. I have ideas. He's done it twice for Londo. He was he will ask for something in return, and you might not want to agree to it. Maybe he'll just ask for a puppy. You don't know. What Maybe. would your what would your request be? I need to know this. We, we should we, all answer that. We should all answer it. We want to, Do you really want me to say it out loud? Yes, I really. Yeah, I, I, I want to know. Actually, uh, I'm gonna have From to pick sure. I'm sure our listeners want to know the possibilities of what could come out of fucking Jonathan's mouth. I can't wait to hear this. It would be to make Jesse love time travel in all of its forms. <laughs> womp, womp. Lies. Womp, womp. Those are lies. No, it's a, it's a good little thing we could do. So if I'm being serious, it would probably. Can I say timeout? Let's do this for the season one recap show. That will be live on December 11th. Oh. So well, can I get mine out? Cause I don't want it live. <laughs> You can tell us and we'll, I'll edit it out later, but for, so if you want to hear what everyone would want from Mr. Morton, December 11th, 8 PM central time, YouTube, you can click the notify button right now to be notified when we go live. And we will have that as part of our season one recap. Let's go ahead and move into questions, predictions. And at this one, guys, I want to keep it just to what you saw in Chrysalis because uh, we will do a full season one 
questions, predictions at the recap of season one. I know there's kind of a fine line there, but if you have anything that's coming from previously in the season that we haven't answered yet, save that for the season one recap. So let's go ahead and do questions, predictions based on Chrysalis, and we will go to Emily first. All right, so I have four. The first one was the VP involved in the assassination plot, which we've kind of discussed, but we don't have answers to. Um, did Dylan know Kosh before B- the creation of B5? Um, are we going to see a new species to be introduced in season two, or as Nicole likes to call them, the what was it? The spider murder, creepy spider murder ships, creepy spider murder ship species. And the last one is: Does Catherine die? Okay. Do you have any predictions, or is that just your questions? No, I was just. Well, the last one is because I we've seen Sinclair in the future and. Delin is with him and it makes me wonder what happens to Catherine because they're supposed to get married. So do they just not get married or does something bad happen to her? Okay. Anything else? That's it. Okay. Jesse, questions, predictions. You actually said you had some this week, so that's good. Um, Some of them we've already asked throughout the podcast. So um, one is, and I know we'll find out about all this, but I just like could not help but wonder what is going to happen with Daylin. Like, I need to know. I need to see what she's going to turn into. I don't think, I honestly don't think she's going to turn into anything physically different. I want to know what the whole damn situation is about. Cause I had, I was confused as shit and I was. She hides the butterfly wings really well in future seasons. She does. Possibly. I mean, <laughs> hey. um, my prediction, uh, Sinclair is going to, he's going to die or he's going to leave. It's awful fucking weird that he's just getting married out of nowhere. And I feel like this is like his exit thought of like, I'm going to go back to earth and raise earth babies or some weird shit. Like, I don't know what he's doing, um, but I think he's out. I don't think he has much longer. I would be surprised if he makes it through season two. That's it. Earth babies. I like Earth, that. Earth we're gonna raise babies. we're gonna raise just Earth to babies. clarify. <laughs> right. As Not opposed Mars to babies. Epsilon Mars 3 babies? babies or whatever. Right. Andrew, what do you got? Yeah, so uh Morden, who is this guy? Because we've all because I'm starting to lean more towards uh he's a miscellaneous uh race that we haven't yet seen and then also uh what did happen with sinclair at uh the the battle of the line those are my two questions nicole you're up okay so um the shady guard that you know has been planted uh in the last couple episodes at the end how he's creepily watching over garibaldi's surgery does he ever find like get found out do they ever find him and figure out that he's shady does he get in trouble does he get yeeted like what happens to this fucker um and what did he actually kill those guys and like why did he kill those guys Devereux and his crew um then what happens with the narn with jakar on his little mission is uh when he said um tell sinclair he was right um we have you know basically hidden impasse and i'll never be the same does that mean like his relationship with Sinclair or the humans has been damaged or meaning just in general, everything's fucked up and never going to be the same. Um, so that was something I, I was curious about. Um, and then will Sinclair ever find out what Dylan wanted to tell him? Like when, like, is he going to actually find out what she was going to tell him on that day? Or is it just going to be a mystery for him? And then what the fuck is she turning into? And is she going to die? Um, is she going to survive? I mean, I think she's going to survive because 
we hear her at the end with Sinclair uh, in the flash forward. So I know she survives in some way, but like, what the hell is she turning into? And then um, will Garibaldi survive? Because I love Garibaldi. I don't care what John says. He's one of my favorites. So um, is he going to survive? And is he going to be, you know, the same? Or is he going to have to like quit? Or like, you know, like, is he too injured? Or um, just what's going to happen there? And then I think um, that was my, those were all my questions. Um, and then, oh, and then what was the question that um, Lanier asked Kosh? I want to know that too. I know some of the stuff we already discussed. So prediction wise, I think that, uh, I think it was Jesse who said the shit's going to hit the fan. Um, I think that's coming for sure. Uh, because I feel like with all the shit that went down with the Narn, uh, with the shit that's going down with Dylan, with, with the ominous ass, everything has changed at the end with Sinclair. Something's about to go down. And I feel like it's going to be worse than what we've already seen. And I do think that the creepy spider murder ship people are going to be part of that. I think they're going to cause a lot of trouble. And I still want to know, I guess, another question is Kosh Shady and is he part of this clan of, you know, creepy spider murder ships? And John, questions, predictions. Well, since I had to go last this time, everyone has stolen almost all of my questions. <laughs> what a loss. <laughs> and I asked some throughout the show. So, uh, I think the only one of the uh, questions I did still have that nobody's brought up yet was about um, the assassination plot. So I'm going to assume that the vice president's in on it. I'm going to assume that um, that's going is. So my question is, is it all just to put this guy in power just to be isolationist, right? To, to get away from co um, working with and being closer to these other species, or is there a much more nefarious plot, which I would assume is the case and they've got something else working, right? You put your people in pipe, put your chess pieces, and then you you deploy your game. So um, that's my question. And my prediction is that it is more nefarious. I think that uh, humanity has a pretty fragile ego. And I think they know that the Mimbari basically let them win and or tie, if you will, the war. And that doesn't sit right with them. And so I think that they're still holding the grudge. And so I think this is a way, a beginning of getting back at the Mimbari. Um, that's a prediction. The other prediction is I do think that the line will come out changed. Uh, so I will contradict Jesse's uh, prediction. I think she will be different. I think she will have lost um, some of who she is. I think she will look different. Um, I also think that Garibaldi will survive. It would be bold to kill off a character like that. Um, but I think that if they were going to do that, it probably would have more resonance to do it in episode instead of paying an actor to come back for like one episode just to kill him, but who knows? But my prediction is that he'll live. I think he'll, he'll be fine. Uh, my other prediction is that uh, Londo will continue to be awesome. And as I stated earlier, we'll eventually make the case and or choice that will redeem him and become Jakar's friend. Um, however, uh, we didn't talk about it a lot, but Jakar's message there at the end to Natoth, I think definitely did spell a Narn rampage. And so uh, excited to see how that bleeds itself in season two. So a Narn page, if you would. Yes. A Narn page. Yes. A full on, full on Narn page. My last prediction is that uh, Jakar is going to keep putting up numbers in season two and Lando is going to join him. And um, Natoth will listen to both. That will end it for our discussion of Chrysalis with the newbies. We're going to go ahead and jettison out the airlock and move into Beyond the Rim. So if this is the first time watching Babylon 5 for you, after our credits, you should leave us. And if you either have already watched the show all the way through or just don't care about spoilers, stick around after the credits. And Kevin, 
myself, and then Blake and Mike will magically appear, and we will talk beyond the rim for Chrysalis. Next week is going to be a special week for us. So the audio podcast next week will be our season one recap, and that will drop on our normal Wednesday drop. And then we will do the next week will be Points of Departure, which is the first episode of season two. However, if you want to check out the season one recap live, we will be doing that December 11th at 8 p.m. U.S. Central Time. So if you go to our YouTube account, the Gray 17 podcast, you will see already that the live is set up. You can click the notify button and you'll know as soon as we go live. But again, that will be December 11th at 8 p.m. U.S. Central Time. Until next week when we talk about season one, I'm Scott and with me as always has been... Kevin. Emily. Jesse. Andrew. Nicole. The one and only upchuckle nugget, John. And we will see you next week on Gray 17 or live if you check us out on next Sunday. Thanks, everybody. I can't believe we fucking made it through season one. I almost quit a thousand times and we're here now. So I can't wait. Shit's about to get good. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. We are here now with just our first ones to discuss everything that our newbies had in terms of questions and predictions for what was the last episode of season one. So really, we're talking about everything that comes after season one at this point. If you have not watched after season one or you do not want to get spoiled on anything, now would be the time to leave. If not, we'll dive right in. So, okay. Guys, let's uh, let's start off with John first. His first question is, are the Vorlons the new race that wiped out the Narn? And are the Vorlons the ones working with Morton? Yeah. Um, no. Fun question, but no. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is interesting how they decided to equate the two races together. I mean, they're close. I mean, because what we're going to get, especially when we get into the first ones, and I think it's Lorien that gives the... Um, later on that the first ones left and they left the shadows and the Vorlons and they had very different ideas on how to oversee the younger races control versus chaos. Yeah. Which is the two questions we get. Who are you and what do you want? It's their philosophies. I actually think it's really funny because my recollection in watching B5 for the very first time is that I never had any mistrust of the Vorlons, despite how shadowy and, and, um, suspicious they act. I never doubted that they were the good guys until Kosh 2.0 joined. Yeah. 
But Jihan Kosh 2.0 was, oh, go ahead. That's just, that kind of on that lines, I always kind of took him as almost the, for lack of a better comparison, the Vulcans of the Babylon 5, you know, universe. Yeah. That older race with the superior, definite superiority complex, kind of that talks around things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and Kosh 2.0 was meant to look suspicious, if you ask me. I mean, mm-hmm. he went with the, uh, the the purple color palette, which, I don't know, reminds me of Decepticons, I guess. And also his encounter suit was more spiky. Well, he heard in purple people look stunning. So he went with purple. Yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, interesting that John kind of went that direction, that he is now mistrusting of the Vorlons as as though they might actually be the, the big bad hiding in plain sight. It would be really interesting. Along those same lines, he asked if Kosh has gone through the chrysalis as well. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think he's referring to, you know, what's underneath the uh, encounter suit, but... I also noticed that none of them caught the flapping wings. The flapping wings sound is extremely uh, prevalent when he comes Mm -hmm. out of that suit, but no one caught it. So we'll have to wait a little bit until they figure that part out. They're all focused on the weird extended neck. Yeah. (laughs) The the rock'em sock'em robot. And I guess, uh, I guess it's also interesting that they've kind of forgotten about the uh, encounter between Kosh and Morden and, the shadows in the hallway that mm-hmm. Kosh was yeah. uh, injured or damaged. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I also think it's interesting that Delenn hasn't seen the Vorlon, the true Vorlon, yet uh, up until this point. I found that interesting. Perhaps Ducat had, but she had not. Yeah, I bet they keep that very much under under wraps unless they we, need to. Do we know that for sure? Like, I actually thought that was uh, I thought that was interesting how freely she like went to his quarters and he just popped out of his suit seemingly in front of her i wasn't sure what to make of that myself she she said i need i need to see uh, i'm 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 losing faith or i need to believe so yeah. she needs like to that. know she needs to know she, for sure the context yeah sound like she had never never seen him before I, I guess i read that as though he was maybe telepathically showing her a vision or something that he needed to mm-hmm. have more direct contact okay. for but that's that's an interesting mm-hmm. Take. No, I think he was okay. just like, here's my here's my angel wings. Have a nice day. Yeah. Well, that's what we're going <laughs> to see later. You know, yep. when Kosh comes out of the encounter suit to save Sheridan, each race sees Kosh as their own deity. Right. Uh, and even when, if I'm not mistaken, in War Without End, with yep. the very end yes. of part two, that's um, when the Mimbari show up on the station, the encounter suits are open and it's the uh, more angelic appearance, Mimbari angelic appearance of the Vorlons. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, flanking Valen. Yep. And really, from what we saw in both that instance and in the instance uh, when Sheridan's falling to his death, is really they're all angelic. It's just they have different faces. And of course, Londo sees nothing. But even because we get a good look of Jakar and what he sees, and it's an angel with a Narn face. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, it's it's all kind of the same kind of religious setup can't remember if it was in in the beginning or the b5 episode that went further into that i, I thought him. there was the line from ducat about staring into a vorlon mm, you're right oh you're right. yes yeah so, so we never saw it but yeah he we didn't see it but i think it's implied through dialogue that he had something along the lines of your life is never the same after you stare into a vorlon yeah. or something like mm-hmm. that you're right. So Ducat definitely has, but I don't think many have. And I'm sure Dylan probably hadn't. And it was one of those like, you've told me all these things. I know what you're supposed to be. So prove it before I go do this. 
that makes a lot of sense i guess uh and and i missed the beginning uh part of the, the podcast on this episode so bear with me uh has it already been asked so what what was specifically the question that delenn asked of kosh via lanier and why did she go about it that way i think she asked are the shadows here Have, has the ancient enemy returned to zaha doom Mm-hmm. Yep. Because she knew the shadows were messing around when Morden showed up, but are they actually amassing forces and is this happening? And he's like, yep. And oh, by the way, I'm an angel. <laughs> oh, let's see. What was Delenn losing with the metamorphosis? Uh, well, her connection to the Grey Council sooner or later, but not yet. Her bald head. Yeah. She's gaining hair. You know. Yes. Not losing the bone structure, though. It'll still be there. Uh, let's see. Is a conspiracy all to put Clark in power uh, in, uh, for the first for Earth first agenda? No. 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 The Car- Clark is getting played just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. The consp- and it's it's multi layers. It's like a little. Uh, uh, oh my god! I just lost my my train of thought. It's like a it's like a ponzi scheme you've got everyone thinking that they're in charge but they're not because you've also got the side core thinking they're the ones pulling the strings but then the shadows are pulling the side core strings <laughs> so it's all the shadows mm-hmm. playing with this they're trying to immobilize earth so they can make a move without earth being a problem i guess if you read the question as is 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 clark the top of the pyramid the answer is yeah definitely not no no he's, he 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 definitely you know thinks that he's going to be able to further the earth first agenda for sure but absolutely he finds out much later that he is a very small cog and when he does I he puts a he ever finds that out well, oh, yeah. I, think, I think when he put the gun to his head he still thought he was the t- i mean it was hitler offing himself in the bunker really? when the allies were closing in I think he thought he was still in charge of Earth until the forces showed up and whooped his ass. I and think he knew it was over then. You're probably right there, just egotistical and yeah. narcissistic. But he had to have known that the core was involved as well because he was using the core and he knew they were using him as well, too. So, But no, I get what you're saying, that in his mind, yeah, this is all me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, his prediction is the same thing as the VP on the, on the assassination. Yes um let's see londo will say no when morden comes to collect on his godfather <laughs> favor londo will make the right choice can't like londo and him be making bonehead decisions um so we kind of talked well, about that this. statement's gonna luck with that <laughs> yeah he's not wrong but he's wrong in timeline because uh-huh. londo's gonna try to tell morden no and he's gonna lose adira for it mm-hmm. so but Londo will get his uh, final say with Mr. Morton down the road. I can't wait for Veer to make his little wave. Was this one of, um, you know, Londo's uh, opportunities to avoid his fate that he wasted? Here's the full prophecy. You still have three opportunities to avoid the fire at the end of your journey. Mm-hmm. You've already wasted two others. You okay. must save the eye that does not see. You must not kill the one who is already dead, which to me, that's Sheridan. That's right. releasing Sheridan. Yes, which he does. And at the last, you must surrender yourself to your greatest fear, knowing that it will destroy you. And those last two were that flash forward scene in yeah. War Without End. Is she yeah. saying you'd have to do all three of those? No, he says those are your opportunities to, to stop this. Oh, because he, he will fail the one. The yeah. last two. He does. If we're interpreting that like Blake did, which I, I do as well, too, 
then yeah yeah and, and she says at the very end now if you have failed all the others that is your final uh chance at redemption okay yeah mm-hmm. and he does get redemption at jakar's hands mm-hmm. okay man his predictions keep on going we gotta get this guy on a sedative here there is a chrysalis version of sinclair coming uh yes actually. there would have been yeah well there is well i know yeah. but my my point to that was the you know the original um plan was probably still in place when this was when this was filmed because this no, no it's no, not no. this no, was filmed because yeah. this was 12 production order 12 oh it could be they knew from jms's biography they knew pretty early on in season one there were problems yeah because this is what ish halfway through that they filmed this yeah roughly halfway mm-hmm. it just makes it seem like that I don't know. I, 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 I'm not arguing with the guy's autobiography. I'm just saying that it seems early to have made that final choice. Well, and he doesn't give a full like dates on that either. And I don't know the way that the in this episode with Sinclair and um, Satai, I don't know if the actual plan at this point was to get rid of or write him off or not. But in terms of will he get um, chrysalis? Yeah. In the original plan, he was not going to. And we'll talk about this when we do our bonus episode. But the original plan was Delenn, who at that point was not going to be gendered, would transition to female, and then they would just mate. He wasn't going to change at all. Oh, okay. Uh, Let's see. There will be another version of Delenn coming, and it may or may not have all the current Delenn memories. Uh, No, it's going to be the full Delenn. The question to Kosh was about the prophecy... It was already kind of talked about. Mm -hmm. It was. This whole thing with the assassination is to get back at the Mimbari. I think it's more that Earth is going in a direction they don't want it to go. Garibaldi will survive. Yes. Yes, because he's he's in the season two credits. Yes, he's got (laughs) plot armor. He's good. Londo will continue to be awesome and become Jakar's friend. It's going to be. Frenemy. I'll go with frenemy. I, I think they do. And, you know, this whole show has started with the premise that, because I think Londo said pretty early on that, you know, he was going to die at Jakar's hand at one mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Yep. He's you had know, dreams of it all his life. He's had dreams of that. So the destiny and the fate of these two characters are intertwined from the very start. Mm-hmm. And I think they do eventually become friends. I mean, there's the scene when Sheridan and Delenn get married and they take Jakar's uh, synthetic eye and put it in their bedroom and you got Londo and Jakar sitting there in the uh, white star watching it. That's I'll Honestly, did not need to be reminded of this. <laughs> I haven't That's watched an episode in a while, but thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so, I mean, but, yeah, I, I mean, uneasy friendship, friendship, but yeah. Yeah. You know. at, at, the, at the very end, I'm fairly sure Londo refers to him as friend as Jakar strangles him to death and Londo strangles him to death. All right, let's move on to Nicole here. Are Devereaux and his guys with Home Guard? Probably. Probably. I mean, it's mm-hmm. all it's all interconnected with what Clark is doing. He has multiple different wings of stuff he's working on. Are the Vorlons the creepy spider murder ships? Again, so, I think this, this is their little echo chamber. One person said it, so they're all in on it now. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, they don't look the same. They're really going to see the Vorlon ships years down the road when they realize that they just completely forgot about signs and portents. Well, not even that. They forgot about um, Mind War. A Vorlon ship shows up and blasts the crap. Oh, not Mind War. What am I thinking about? I'm thinking about Death Death Walker. 
Death one. The yeah. Warlon ship shows up and blows her up, and they don't look any like the shadows. Well, we've seen Kasha's personal transport too, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, they're creepy, just in a different way. They're definitely bio. They're definitely bio like the Vorlon ships uh, because they're both very ancient ships. But and I yeah. can see where they're coming from. The for somebody that's not into sci-fi, they would just recognize certain similarities about them compared to everyone else's ships. Like I get where they're coming from on that, but. But no, <laughs> I don't know what this next sentence means. Yeah, I mean, how are the Vorlons involved? Because the Mimbarian Vorlons are a strange pairing of knowledge. I mean, the Vorlons are shepherding the Mimbari. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is Kosh protecting the shadows? God no. <laughs> nope he's uh he's the exact opposite. If only you know. The only thing I'll say about that is I don't think he wants the entire galaxy to know about the shadows. He's keeping that a little bit closer to the vest, you know, and being careful about who he tells. But no, he's not protecting the shadows. Well, well, and so are the Membari. And we'll learn that later when Dolin finally has that conversation with Chakar is they knew the shadows were back. They knew the shadows were working with the Centauri, mm-hmm. but they weren't ready. Yep. So they didn't want to say anything. You know, they, they sacrificed the millions of lives to save billions. Mm-hmm. And Jakar understands that. He doesn't accept the apology, but he understands it. Uh, the one thing, too, that they're and they're doing this because Kosh is the only Vorlon they've seen. But they're equating Kosh's motives with the Vorlon's motives. And we know the motives are different. Especially when Kosh ingratiates himself to Sheridan more down the road, Kosh does not want the cycle to continue. The Vorlons do. The Vorlons are okay with them and the shadows duking it out every few thousand years and calling it a day. Kosh wants something different, but they haven't seen that yet. Now when they get to Kosh 2.0, <laughs> we're back to the Vorlons. That guy's so. a dick. Is Kosh protecting Sinclair? He's, he's not going out of his way to I would, not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't feel like you can really say that he did. Now, maybe he would have if Sinclair had stuck around, but... I think he absolutely protects Sheridan to a point where he sacrifices his life to support Sheridan's efforts. Yeah, right. Oh, uh, will Delenn be taking over when she comes out of the chrysalis? No. Well, a few I mean, years down the road. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. That's a great thing with prophecies. No matter what, you can make them work. It's like ancient aliens. <laughs> uh, let's see. What is the destiny? Well, that's a long conversation that we've already kind of hit on several times, but um, depends on who you ask. For the Shadows and the Vorlons, their destiny is to continue, like I said, to duke it out for a thousand, every thousand years or so. But we will shall see. Will Sinclair ever find out what Dylan wanted to tell him? Yes. Because yeah. we find out when he goes to Membar, he gets the same information that Sheridan got when uh, in season two, the first episode, when Lanier tells Sheridan what's up. So Sinclair gets the same information. Um and also, Sinclair gets a note from himself down the road, too, which helps out as well. So, her prediction, Londo does have a good heart and conscience. His concern for Garibaldi proves it, along with his remorse for the Narn. Yeah, sure. I mean, Londo is a torn figure. I mean, he is definitely somebody who wants to be a decent person, but also is shackled by tradition and shackled by, a, you know, his his culture. So, yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's the trade-off view. Oh, sorry, Mike, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, it's it's a difficult thing of wanting glory and greatness for your people, but, you know, having to balance that with 
how you get it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very big a key for Londo too, is he doesn't want greatness for himself. He couldn't care less. He just wants his people to be where they used to be. Oh, there's uh, one more question from Nicole that I think is worth talk- talking about there. It's okay. uh, the shady guard that, that backstabs Garibaldi. I forgot his name. If he is ever even given one, but does, does he ever get found out and get his call? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's coming. It's coming. And, and everybody's favorite uh, fan, Lou Welch, uh, tries to give him a beatdown, but Sheridan won't let him. I love Lou. I love Lou. <laughs> uh, let's see. And then her last uh, prediction, Kosh is shady. No, Kosh is not shady. The Vorlons are shady. Is shady. I mean, <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Vorlons are shady. Kosh is just not ready to reveal all his secrets yet. That is a difference. Uh, Jesse, Jesse actually had a question this week. What will happen with Delenn and her transformation? She will need... A- bottle of head and shoulders <laughs> <laughs> I, I love when she when she goes is it she goes to ivanova oh, so funny. with her hair just in tatters like you're what am my, i supposed to do you're gonna need a hundred strokes every night the last yep, that is that is me with my daughter whenever yes. my wife is unavailable <laughs> my, my six-year-old daughter got a brush stuck in her hair a few days ago and came to me and just the look on her face the pure dread was great <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, let's move on to prediction for Jesse. The fact that Londo participated in the murder of 10,000 Narns will come out and be a major problem for Londo. Yes. He's going to he's going to murder a lot more Narn before it's all said and done. Let's say this is just the start. He'll be fine. <laughs> Wait until the mass drivers come out. Yeah. The line won't look different. Eh, sorry. No, sorry. Sorry, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a big no go. Sinclair is going to either die or leave. Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head on the second yeah. one of them. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, marriage is Sinclair's exit plot. No. He so, won't make it through season two. No. Emily's got them all wrapped around this secret marriage, which actually JMS posted um in the Usenets back in the day that that was absolutely a red herring and he did that for fun, but they are, they are definitely still wrapped up on that. So at some point, can we tell Emily that JMS was just fucking with her? I, the, I, I gotta go back and find where in the Usenet he said it, but basically he's like, you guys were so worried about that and it meant nothing. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. That was it for Jesse, right? Yep. 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 yep uh so emily's first question was a vp in the assassination same question answered already we talked about cash already yep Kosh have knowledge of the future and technology to help sinclair get there sure does well this is what i've wondered so i mean thinking for forward to war without end when you've got babylon 5 back in time they never establish how old the vorlons are True. and I've almost wondered if Kosh wasn't one of the Vorlons on B4. Well, I almost guarantee he is. Just because the knowledge he has and the interactions mm-hmm. he has, I think that is... I think the, the Vorlons are, if not immortal, close to immortal at this point. They're energy beings. They can basically, as long as they're not you know killed by a shadow they're they're going to be around for a while so i wouldn't doubt it at all which explains why him and kosh 2.0 are on the minbari battle cruiser at the battle of the line everything else they're just kind of continuing on with the plan as has been yeah because so basically to kosh this isn't prophecy this is what happened been there done that which is again goes in the time travel which we'll talk about more when we get to war without end but it's all a closed loop up until a point oh jesse's gonna love that episode uh yes 
Does Catherine die? No. Eventually, I'm sure. Actually, yeah, I mean, well, of old age, but actually we never see Catherine Sakai again in the show. However, she does show up in the expanded universe and... It's supposedly canon because JMS said everything is canon, but she goes back in time and meets up with uh, Valen uh, Sinclair and they do get married. So that does happen. Uh, I couldn't tell you what the story was because I'm blanking on the name of it, but somehow she goes back in time and meets up with Sinclair again. Because we have to have happy endings. Do Dylan and Kosh know each other before the creation of B5? Yes. Yes, they do. We'll get to that episode (laughs) or that movie. Uh, her prediction's the same as everybody else's. VP was in on it. Yes, he was. She's just because the guy gets the flu and gets off the ship before it goes boom. I mean, come on, folks. <laughs> Andrew's questions. Are the shadow figures the Vorlon's true form? No. Nope. Will Londo still return the favor to Morden since he is uncomfortable with the Narm being wiped out? He'll be forced into his little favor, but yes, yes, he will. But he'll also give Morden what he deserves down the road. Uh, who is Morden? Morden is a human who was captured by the shadows on Zaha Doom because they mistakenly landed on Zaha Doom and found the shadows and was turned into their slave. And he is a meat puppet. <laughs> He's a meat puppet. And when he gets nuked, he continues to be a meat puppet. And also Sheridan's wife's a meat puppet. We're not there yet. And a guy who looks like Mark Twain. Those are the three. <laughs> he does. Is he a miscellaneous race we haven't seen yet? Nope, he's human. Mm-hmm. And we're flat out told that. I mean, JMS doesn't hide it. When he comes on board, hey, your identity card's a little old. Yeah, I've been on the rim. Mm-hmm, that's about it. What happened with Sinclair at the Battle of the Line? Well, you're going to find out next episode, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and prediction, Londo is told to take credit for the Narn issue being taken care of. Londo's character is about to get a lot more complex. I would agree. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a yeah, lot more. Londo's Lando. taking credit for all, because the shadows of worked at Londo's behest basically mm-hmm. and they have made it very clear to him that they're not spo- he's not supposed to talk about them take all the credit Londo all the credit okay anything else you guys want to talk about with chrysalis yeah there was a discussion between Sinclair and a Jakar that I thought was really prophetic it, it it really foreshadowed both turns of Jakar's story coming up I thought that was a really cool scene mm-hmm. um he talks about you know, we're at a we're at a turning point and a crossroads, he says. And he says, you guys are like uh, abused children. You know, you're uh, you're lashing out when you don't have to do that. That's not the right way to, to go about it. And mm-hmm. it's like you can you can be the peacemaker if you want to be. And it's just interesting because Jakar goes through both of those things. He gets worse and then he gets a lot better and becomes a peacemaker. Yeah. And, and Mike, you've said from the beginning that Jakar is one of your favorite characters. But uh, yep. um, I think his his transition from you know just meddler to religious icon and savior savior of the galaxy is <laughs> a nice little arc <laughs> yeah i have a i don't know i i have a love-hate relationship with the evil character redemption story because i feel like it's done so poorly in so many different forms of media but jakar does that story arc so very well yeah. and it's because he he takes every step along the journey you know, it's 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 the going the going deeper before pulling yourself back out again that really uh, gets it. And he's one of the strongest actors in the company too, so yeah, he can sure. pull that off. Where sometimes you have that given to uh, an actor who just cannot handle the weight of that, 
next week we're going to go ahead and talk about the entire season one in a recap and if you want to check that out live you can do so on december 11th sunday at eight o'clock central time to remember what time that is you can go to our youtube channel and it's up there right now you can click the notify button and it will tell you when we go live if you can't check us out live the season one recap episode will drop next week at the normal time and then a week after that we will dive into season two with points of departure so until two weeks from now when we talk points of departure i've been scott and with me has been like like and kevin this is like being nibbled to death by uh what are those earth creatures called? Feathers, long beard, webbed feet. Go quack. Cats, cats. I've been nibbled to death by cats.